Now this summer we've been plumbing the depths of God's heart in a sermon series called A Heart of Worship. And God speaks directly to our hearts through these poems. And so far we've explored this deeper sense of God through psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of lament. And last week Justin talked a little bit about a precatory psalm and we're going to continue on with that. We're going we're gonna to look at this genre of psalm that is, is rough. When we read it, we cringe. When Lori, even though she said it in a very nice, soft voice, you cringe when you hear these, these, these psalms. And I don't want to miss the tension here. Because there ten, there's tension when we read these psalms, these imprecatory psalms. I mean, the fact is, is these psalms are vivid, and they're not exactly politically correct. And our culture, and to some extent the church, has detached uh, a just God from justice. And at times when we, we look at these psalms, the way we, we've dealt with them is we either skip them, we just, we just pass them, we read it, we go, nope, I'm not reading this one. Or some have just removed them from the Bible altogether. Some have, have coped with this by creating this idea that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, but there's only one God. And some have attempted to divide what the psalmist's voice is from God's voice. And anything that's kind of strange or anything that's a little awkward is attributed to the psalmist and not God. But if Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is God-breathed, then we have nothing to fear, and it is. And God wants to reveal an aspect of himself, specifically his justice, and usher us into a, a more richer understanding, an authentic act of worship of him. Now, last Monday, I turned 40, and it made me think about life a little bit. And specifically, it made me think about some of the injustices that we all have experienced. I mean, we all crave for justice. All you have to do is watch a TV show, and when the bad guy does, gets away with it, we get upset. Justice wasn't done. And my idea of this injustice really was solidified in my life when I was about 12 years old. My dad and mom, we, we lived in an apartment in the greater Los Angeles area, and my mom and dad had just saved enough money to buy a house. And so they just closed on a house, and they were excited about this. It was, it was the summer right after my 12th birthday, exactly about this time. And my dad went out celebrating with my uncle, and he celebrated a little too hard. And he ended up stumbling into uh, the wrong apartment. And that night, I can remember, I was sleeping and all of a sudden seeing a light in my window. And it was common for, for apartments to get broken into where we lived. So I thought maybe someone was trying to break in. And I stood up and I looked. And as I stood up, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department came rushing in. And they drew, drew their weapons on me. My mom jumped in the way. And... They ended up taking my dad to, 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 to prison. And at first it was a misdemeanor, but due to a cir certain circumstances, and unfortunate circumstances, he ended up going away for three years. And I remember I was so angry, because everything changed that day. I was so angry, and I wanted justice, and I didn't understand what was happening. And as Christians... 
Our confidence, our strength, our motivation and purpose of pursuing justice proceeds directly from the cross. That is what makes what we have so powerful, so effective, because it's real and it's transformative, it's eternal. And at the very core, it's worship. The title of today's sermon is The Cross Point of Justice. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Psalm 58. Now, Psalm 58, again, is an imprecatory psalm. It's a psalm of David. David is fleeing Saul. And Saul is just dragging David's name through the mud. And he's, he's doing these injustices in his pursuit for David at the expense of David and at the expense of others. And David sees this and he just wants it to stop. And we know what that feels like. All of us have suffered that at some point in some way in our lives. So today, I want to look at three ways in which we worship God in the context of his justice. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we bless you. We entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us and to teach us the things that we do not know. We are in some deep waters here, God. Father, these are some tough words. Help us to just plumb the depths of your heart and to get, to get a greater, more deeper, richer understanding of who you are. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we see is a heart of worship seeks God's justice. Justice is an interesting word in our culture because it's very emotive in our culture. Justice is very subjective in our culture. So in order for us to pursue justice, we must first define justice. There's often a detachment of God and the gospel in our pursuit of justice. I mean, even in, in the church, as the church, we pursue justice for the sake of the other, but not always for the sake of the other and for the glory of God. Sometimes we do it for ourselves. Sometimes we love others to love ourselves. And we pursue justice to love ourselves. And at the very core, that's selfish. And so we have to define, we have to understand exactly what does it mean, what does justice mean as we pursue that. And we see that God's justice is objective. Verse 1 says, do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. No, you don't. And the only reason that the psalmist could say this, David could say this, is because he understands that God is the moral law giver. God is the one who defines what right and wrong, what right and wrong is. And as God's people, we're called to be God's mouthpiece and speak out against the injustices we see. We can only do this with confidence if we stand on the platform of God's truth. Because if we don't stand on the platform of God's truth, we're just another opinion in the sea of opinions. And who cares? So we must stand firm on God's truth, His opinion, what it matters. We also see that God's justice is definitive. Verse 2 says, Know in your heart you devise injustice and your hands meet out violence on the earth. We see this, that anything that is evil proceeds from the heart. It, its origin is from the heart. And God judges the heart. He judges the heart of every man. It's definitive. Verse 4 says, Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of the cobra that has stopped its ears. They will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. We have people that just perpetuate this evil, and no matter what truth is brought to it, they don't want to hear it. 
And in Genesis 3.15, we read something. We go all the way back to Genesis. We read of this prophecy of the Messiah, this prophecy of Jesus. This is God speaking to the serpent. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Speaking of the final blow of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the power of sin and death. At his own expense, Christ crushed Satan. And Christ is calling us to this mission of crushing the injustices of the evil one right now in our everyday. That's why the people of God cannot stand with those who seek to advance their agenda on the expense of others. It's antithetical to the way of Christ. We see that God's justice is applicative. It applies to everyone. Verse 3 says, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. I don't know if you missed it. Now and then, Eric and I will drive up to Maine. And I don't know if it's her or it's me. I always think it's me. But I'm always looking for a moose. It's, and, and we're driving. Oh, she says it's her. She'll, she'll go and she'll be looking for a moose. And then she'll say, you see that? And I'm like, no, I don't see that. And I'm driving, of course, so I probably shouldn't be looking anyways. But she goes, you missed it. I'm like, yeah, sure, I missed it. Whatever. And the thing is, is, is sometimes we pass over something like this. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. And as we read the entire book, the entire scripture, we see that all are wicked and all have gone astray. And that, that provides room for the gospel. The conduit of grace is justice. And we see that personal transformation precedes corporate change. If we want to change things, it starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the problem isn't behavior, the problem is the heart. And the only thing that can change the heart is the one who created the heart. The creator of the universe. And this requires transformation. It requires the gospel. And so when we look at God and we look at the gospel, we, we often like to think of just God's grace, but you can't have grace without justice. You see, we have all sins, and there's punishment in that. God has his standards. So what happened? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, steps down from heaven and lives a perfect and righteous life, a life that we cannot live. And then he's nailed to a cross, and then God's Wrath is poured upon him, satisfying his justice. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, that's when grace just flows down. So you can't have grace and justice. You can't have one without the other. They're the same. They come crashing together at the cross points, right there at the center of the cross. So the gospel is important as we go and we seek justice because we want to change hearts. Of course, we want to meet the needs of people. We want to, we want to do things. There's, there's this ministry that you're going to be introduced to in a couple of weeks that is one of our new global partners called Anchor. Anchor is down in New Bedford. And they go out and they serve the homeless. But they also preach the gospel to them. And they're seeing this, this transformation happen because they're meeting the needs, the holistic needs of the people and meeting their number one need, which is the need that separates them from God and giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And for us as the church, this is a heart check for us, church. 
Do we seek, do we seek God's justice from his perspective, from his values, his standards, and for his glory that culminated on the cross? Or do we just do it because it makes us feel good? So that's a question, and, I, and, I, and I'm convicted by this. Because oftentimes, as a pastor, I love others to love myself. And that's not the gospel. So that's one. Second thing, a heart of worship prays for the intervention of God's justice. Verse 6 says, Break or destroy by force the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away, or let them be invisible or unnoticeable. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun, or may they never see the light of day. And this is hardcore. This is a prayer. This is David's prayer. So we have to process this a little bit, because there, there are some harsh words here. So the first thing we have to ask is, how could David pray like this? Well, we see that David is a man after God's own heart. Pastor Jack talked, preached on Psalm 51 a couple weeks ago, and we see that David prays, and he says, against you, O Lord, have I sinned. And so David sees that evil is first and foremost an affront to God, and he hates evil. And he wants justice. Why? Does he want justice for the sake of justice? No, he wants justice because he wants the peace of God, the shalom, the wholeness of God to rain down. And I find it very interesting that David, as a military man, had many opportunities to take justice into his own hands. There were many times where he could have went and he could have, he could have dealt with Saul. And David was a military man. He could have done something about it. But he doesn't. He says, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. He instead prays for the intervention of God. So then the question for us is, is can we pray like this? And some people would say, no, you can't pray like this. But I would say absolutely you could, you could pray like this. An aggressive, radical evil requires a radical response from God. And as people who are God, after God's own heart. We should hate evil because it's an affront to God. And I'll tell you, I've prayed this prayer many times. I prayed this, I prayed this prayer sitting in a fighting hole with people surrounding me. God, take them out right now. Take them out right now. I prayed this when I was 12, year, 12, year, 12 years old. God, do something. I want your justice to be done. I prayed it. And it's all right if we pray it. God wants us to pray those things. We should hate evil. We should be a people that hate evil and want God to do something about it. We should lament over the injustices that we see and that we experience. And some of you here have been subject to that. All of us at some level. And we can pray for God's justice to happen. It's all right. He wants to hear it. He's a big enough God to hear it. Some of you can say, well... How do we reconcile Matthew 5, 44, Brian, when Jesus tells us to love your enemies and pray for those who perse persecute you? It's interesting. Well, we must embrace the cross point of justice, where justice and grace come crashing together in this love of sacrifice which produces this peace, this shalom, this wholeness that surpasses all understanding. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. We pray 
We pray for God's justice to be done, and how God decides to answer that is up is his business. I think about the Apostle Paul, a murderer. And can you imagine the risen Lord Jesus Christ coming to you and saying, hey, this guy Paul, who's a murderer, he's coming to you. Don't worry. He's good now. I transformed him. Just accept him into your, 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 your house. You'd be like, are you kidding me, God? How God decides to answer these things, we pray for God's justice to be done. If that means that someone is transformed and saved by the power of the gospel, or that God decides to do whatever, that's God's business. We just preach the gospel. We just pray for his intervention of justice. And it's complex. It's a complex thing. And we are called to worship God. We're called to worship God by praying, his kingdom come. We pray his kingdom come. We're praying that his judgment, that his justice would come raining down, and we know that's going to happen. It's an imprecatory statement. It's an imprecatory prayer, a portion of that prayer. But here's the thing. There's another side to this. We're also called to listen to God as he responds to our prayers. God responds to our prayers. It's just sometimes we're not listening. We're looking for a certain answer. And as I was 12 years old and I prayed, and I prayed for the injustice to stop, I just wanted peace. I just wanted peace. I just wanted my dad to come home. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I said, God, I want peace, which means my dad coming home. And God answered my prayer. My dad didn't come home. But God, instead of providing my dad to come home to give me peace, he brought to me a person of peace, the person of a youth pastor who introduced me to the Prince of Peace. And he just came and he, he, he just loved me. And he came alongside me. And he preached the gospel to me. And transformation occurred. And shalom, the wholeness of God, came raining down. It didn't mean everything was fixed, the circumstances were fixed. My dad was still in jail. But transformation happened. And I stand before you right now as a follower of Christ because that man, that youth pastor, prayed for me. And he responded to God's prayers or God's prompting as I prayed for God, God's justice to be done. And he listens. I'm amazed every, every week when I come up here and I get to preach the gospel. It's amazing to me. If somebody right now is praying for the injustice to stop, what they really need is a personal peace to introduce them to the Prince of Peace they can experience the shalom that is only possible in Christ. And so, are you open to that? Are you open to be that person of peace? And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Brian, that's a lot. That just seems way out there. Like, I don't even know what to do. Well, I know a couple, a couple that's local who, who just takes people out to dinner. They just take people out to dinner that they've come to, come to, to find out and they, and they just... They're messengers of peace. They preach the gospel with their lives. And they preach the gospel overtly. And they just bring them into fellowship with them. And transformation happens. So it can start off something really simple. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, a heart of worship rejoices when God's justice is served. We see that a heart of worship delights in the justice of the gospel. 
Verse 9 says, Before your pots can fill the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. Now, just to give you some context, they used to use these thorns as, as fuel for the fire to heat up their pots. And here the, the idea is that God's justice is swift. He exercises his justice fast. And so for us, what does this mean? It means that the call to proclaim the gospel is, is immediate. We need to proclaim the gospel. And we need to proclaim the gospel to the enemies of the cross. And I, I know this is a hard thing. We're called to proclaim the message to our enemies as well. Because we want justice to be done. If that's justice through transformation, or if that's justice with, with God doing whatever God's going to do. Nonetheless, we're called to preach the gospel to the enemies of the cross. We don't want to be like Jonah, who says, don't send me there because I know you're going to do something. Some of you are there. You're like, don't, I do not want to say something to them because something is going to happen and they're going to be transformed and I don't want them to be transformed. Let's just get straight up. That's, that's sometimes how we feel, especially when we've been on the other end of that injustice at the hand of them. Of them. And the day that we stop lamenting and praying for the enemies of the cross is the day that we lose our Father's heart. We also see a heart of worship cries out but waits. Verse 11 says, Then the people will say, Surely the righteous still rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. The fact is, is God has promised to vindicate himself. We must leave room for God's wrath. We preach the gospel, we leave room for God's wrath. It's not up to us to usurp God's place of judgment. God is big enough. He's the ultimate God. He has the, has the right to do that. We're called to just proclaim the truth, the truth of the cross. And as we walk in the cross of justice and live the way of Christ, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. We so desperately want to seek justice and we'll do anything for it, won't we? We'll move heaven and earth so that we can get that feeling of vindication. But it's not ours to have. It's God's. And so we have to leave room for that. And we'll be rewarded for that, if not now, but also in the time to come. And we see that a heart of worship perseveres now because of the future victory of the cross. Verse 10 says, The righteous will be glad when they are avenged. When they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked, David, what just happened? You just went off the deep end here. What is he talking about? Dipping, you know, your feet in the blood of the wicked? Remember, this is imagery. This is not to be taken literally. Some of you are like, whoa, you just went off the deep end, Brian. Here's the thing. David is a military man. And what he's trying to express here is that the ultimate victory of God. And he wants God's victory. He wants to feel God's victory. He wants to see God's victory over evil completely. And so he mentions this and he gives this military imagery. And there is victory now, but there's a final victory to come. Revelation 19.1-3 says, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. 
This is speaking of God's final victory when, when God's kingdom will be consummated. And full, the full measure of God's victory will be seen and felt. And I say this all the time. You know what's coming, right? Spoiler alerts. We win. We win. We win and we can walk in that victory now. And because we win, because we can walk in this victory now, because we win in Christ, this allows us to pursue justice for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the other, with risk. We can risk it all because we win. And we can persevere through that. Because the one that risked it all, Jesus Christ, calls us to that and he's empowered us to that and we win in him. And in a minute, we're going to go ahead and we're going to come to the table of our Lord. And yes, this is about what he's done on the cross and remembering what he's done on the cross. But it's also about a future where we will actually sit around physically with our Lord, communing with him at a table physically. Everyone, everyone part of the body of Christ. And so when we come today, when you partake of the elements, I want you to remember that. I want you to worship by remembering that, yes, he's died on the cross, and that is amazing. And remember the gospel. Remember the gospel just doesn't stop at the cross. It ends as we commune with him for eternity in a renewed area, a renewed state, in total victory. We proclaim that every time we come to the table. A few years ago, as I close, a few years ago, my dad and I were talking. We're, we were on a patio, and my dad was, was, was just very, I love my dad. He was just saying, Brian, I'm so sorry what happened when you were a kid. I'm sorry, that must have been really difficult for your mom and your sister and you. I'm really sorry. And as we started talking, I, I, God just brought something to me. And, and I, re, I remembered, and I saw God's hand in this, that through this thing, through this injustice, God brought me to faith. He brought my mom to faith. He brought other family members to faith. He brought people of peace into our lives. And I'm not saying that we can always see that in this life, but there's something going on here. There's some sort of mystery that we can't always wrap our arms around with why things happen the way they happen. But God is a just God. And he shows us glimpses of that in our life as we just dwell on his providence. And this time tomorrow, you're going to be faced with an opportunity. You're going to be faced with an opportunity to pursue justice in some way. It might be just something small, more than likely, it'll be something small. So do good. Seek justice. But do so from the cross point of justice. For when we do, we don't just change, change circumstances, we transform lives with the power of the gospel. We usher worshipers to our God. We bring glory to our God with the heart of worship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for being a good and gracious God to us. We don't understand all these things. These things are complex at times. And so as finite people, we just pray that 
we would be comfortable with the things that we can't explain in your infinite ways. But we love you, Lord, and we know that you are a just God. You're also a gracious God, and you're a good God. And so, we just thank you. Give us a heart of worship. Give us a heart that just wants to pursue and plumb the depths of who you are. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name.